0: That's all stand together at this time. We're going to be looking in uh, 1 John chapter 2, 1 John chapter 2, a message I call The Love God Hates. 1 John chapter 2, verse 15, do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. May God bless the reading of his word today as my prayer. You may be seated. The love God hates. We've spent a couple of weeks looking at the audience that John identified as he discussed the subject of spiritual growth, spiritual maturity, how to grow uh, in our faith. He described the natural pro- uh, progression that would occur between those who were children and then to young men and then to fathers, just uh, the natural growth stages of life. Uh, but he's talking about spiritual growth and things that are alive, grow things that are alive grow but there are times when as christians that growth uh, maybe doesn't progress the way that uh, it should and so this morning we're going to be getting the message he's writing he says that again and again i'm writing to you children i'm writing to you young men i'm writing to you uh, uh, fathers i'm i'm writing to you children i'm writing to you young men i'm writing to you fathers okay what are you writing about do not love the world nor the things that are in the world if anyone loves the world the love of the father is not in him probably the number 1 issue that keeps god's people from growing spiritually is the love of the world Uh, That is what has prompted many preachers over the years to refer to this as the love God hates. I don't claim originality for that. A lot of different guys have used that through the years. But it's a very good concept uh, for us to consider. The love that God hates is the love for the world and the love of the things of the world. And we'll be developing that thought as we go along. Uh, Reading on in the passage, Do not love the world or the things that belong in the world. If anyone loves the world, love for the Father is not in him. Because everything that belongs to the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride in one's lifestyle, is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world with its lust is passing away, but the one who does God's will remains forever." Now, Jesus will describe a deadly antagonism, a warfare, if you will, between those who are his children and those that are in the world. John chapter 15, verse 17 These things I command you that you love one another. If the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. Now, we're hearing a lot about hatred these days and a lot about hating these days, but let's look at it from a biblical perspective. Because Jesus Christ, the, world, the Lord of glory, said that the world hates me and it's going to hate you. If you were out of the world, the world would love its own. Yet because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you. If they kept my word, they will keep yours also. He didn't stop there. Verse 23, uh, he who hates me hates my father also. If I had not done among them the works which no one else did, they would have no sin. But now they have seen and also hated both me and my father. But this happened that the word might be fulfilled which was written in their law. They hated me. Without a cause. We might well ask ourselves a question this morning. What exactly did Jesus do to incite the kind of hatred that he received? He taught people the Word of God, told them the truth. He went about healing people, raising the dead, blind see lepers were cleansed the lame walked what exactly did he do to be hated the way he was hated according to him nothing they hated me without a cause they hated me without a cause so The world and all the things that the world has literally hates God and hates His Son, Jesus Christ. And that in spite of the fact that God so loved the world. Let's notice that contrast. God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. God so loved the world And the world so hated God. What a contrast. The world returned that love with pure, active, vehement hatred. James, in his characteristically blunt way, frames this whole thing uh, in a form of a relationship. James chapter 4 and verse 4. Adulterers and adulteresses. Now those are strong words. Do you not know that the friendship with the world is enmity with God? Whoever therefore wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you think that the scripture says in vain, The spirit who dwells in us yearns jealously. Friendship with the world is enmity with God. See, in our relationship with God, God doesn't hate us if we love the world or if we love somebody else. But He will certainly hate the fact that we love someone else and that that someone else is in fact the world who hates Him with everything that they have. Friendship with the world is hostility with God. There's always another person that attracts the ire of someone when they are in a relationship with them. Some of you may hate deer hunting. Some of you may hate duck hunting or fishing. You may hate a spouse's job or business or boss or friend. Because you see in those things a legitimate rivalry to the love that should be yours and yours alone. That's why James, I think, uh, put this in the form that he did. Adulterers and adulteresses, do you not know that the friendship of the world is enmity with God? We can get altogether too chummy with the world without realizing when we do that that it puts us in a state of hostility to God. I'm trying to be careful this morning and preach with sensitivity, but yet speak the truth. You see, uh, one preacher put it this way. He said in the Christian life, we're not so often defeated as we are distracted. (laughs) Things that just pull our minds and hearts away. And if that's the case, and there's perhaps never been so many distractions to God's people than there are today, remember, we're talking about the number one thing that keeps us from growing in our faith is the tendency to love the world or the things of the world. I'm writing to you children, young men, fathers. I'm writing to you children, young men, and fathers. Okay, what are you writing about, John? Don't love the world or the things that are in the world. Now the world in this passage, we need to understand what it doesn't mean. It does not speak of the created world or universe, because every fiber of every plant, every rock of every mountain, every atom, every molecule of this entire creation is shouting out glory and praise to Almighty God. When you leave this building this morning, you will go out into God's beautiful creation and every aspect of it is doing exactly what God created it to do. The heavens, the psalmist says, declare the glories of God, the stars in their courses, the seasons. All of them are saying, praise the Lord. When you head out into the created world, you are entering another place that belongs to God and you can fill that place with your voice of praise. Remember Jesus said when they tried to silence those who were shouting Hosanna, if these were quiet, what would happen? The rocks themselves would cry out. I'd like to sing that, I have to say. Uh, But the rocks do cry out. They say, praise God. The plants, the animals, everything all over this thing, the incredible diversity of the creation. So let's understand when God tells us don't love the world, he's not talking about the created universe. He's not even talking about the people of the world. God loves them and he calls on us to love them too. Even to love those, yes, that hate us, even to love those who are our enemies. We love them and we be kind to them, we try to be, we try to be good to them like our Father is good to them because God, Jesus says, makes His Son, His Son to shine on the evil and the good and sends His rain, His rain on the just and on the unjust. So it's not the created universe and it's not all the people Instead, when he tells us to love not the world, he is talking about an organized system of evil that lures men and women away from God. It offers pleasures and fun and popularity, but in the end it delivers death. God calls, John calls our attention to three things, lust, lust, and pride. Lust, lust, and pride. These are the fuel that the world runs on. If it was an automobile, that would be its gasoline. If it was an electric vehicle, that would be its battery. What does it run on? Lust, lust, and pride. Three things. They're arranged in such a way so that pride is the natural result of the first two. We know that because John doesn't say that the world and its pride is passing away. He says that the world and its lust is passing away. And when the uh, lust of the world passes away, the pride goes with it. So he's telling us that the pride of life or pride in one's lifestyle is uh, uh, a person who is proud of the fact that they are living to fulfill the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes. This is what the world has, lust, lust. Lust and being proud of fulfilling that lust. These three things. When the Bible tells us don't love the world, that's what it tells us not to love. Now, The word lust in the passage means a desire, a craving, or longing for something generally that is forbidden or something that is not readily accessible to us. Uh, sometimes it is forbidden by God's truth, sometimes it's forbidden by our own standards. We will see in a few moments that there are passages uh, that refer to this lust in a way that speaks of uh, wanting something that though it is not ours, we desire it and it's something good. And we'll see that in a few moments. This morning we're going to look at these three things individually, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life. Jesus gave us a, a classic description of how these things operate in the lives of people in his explanation of the parable, the sower. You'll remember Jesus talked about a sower who went forth to sow. A sower is a farmer. Uh, a farmer is not a horticulturalist. A horticulturalist grows flowers and plants and shrubs uh, just uh, for them to be displayed. Uh, he's not really concerned that much about uh, uh, the seeds of them, but a farmer's different. He is planting. For one purpose, he wants the fruit. He wants to raise a crop, whatever that crop is. And so, when it comes to plants that would be fruitful, uh, anything that would prohibit them from being fruitful then has has thwarted the purpose of the sower or the farmer. And so, when Jesus began to talk about the parable of the sower, he talked about how that sometimes seed would grow up, but then it would be choked out choked out by, by the weeds. And he described then what those are. The cares of this world, the deceitfulness of riches, Mark four nineteen, and the lust of other things entering in, choke the word, and it becomes unfruitful. Unfruitful. Now, sometimes God's people don't produce fruit then because of what Jesus called the cares of this world. Sometimes... It is the deceitfulness of riches, or he just puts it all under the general heading the lusts, the desires of other things. Luke 22 and 15 is one of those times. When uh, the same word is used, but it's used in a positive way, it's even translated with a different word, but it's the same word in Greek. He said to them, I have earnestly desired, there it is, to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. Philippians 1.23, I'm hard pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is Far better. And in those passages, then that word lust, same word that's used in translating lust in other passages, is translated desire, same kind of feeling, but it's for something uh, that is good and positive. And we'll learn then that when the Bible is warning us about lust, it's not talking about the desires of the spirit for spiritual things, but the desire then of the flesh for fleshly things. Galatians 5 and 16, I think, make that point for us very plainly. Walk in the Spirit, he says, and you shall not fulfill the lust, there it is, of the flesh. For the flesh lusts against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh, and these are contrary to one another, so that you do not do the things that you wish. Now, I think you can plainly see in Galatians chapter 5 that the Bible speaks of the lust or desires of the Spirit, we have spiritual desires, spiritual cravings, the desire of the Spirit, and how they are set then in opposition to the desires of the flesh. What does that mean? That means that if you're a saved person, that the Spirit of God lives in you, and the Spirit of God lives in me. You have a spiritual side that is alive to God and that craves the things of God. Jesus put it this way, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. Your spirit has legitimate desires and need. You crave then the word of God. You long after the things of God. You and I, we long to walk with God and to talk with God and to be with Him uh, like they were in the garden when they walked in the cool of the day and had that unbroken fellowship with God. You long for that you're saved you have that longing in you but you also have the longings of the flesh And when the Bible says they're contrary to one another what it's telling us is that your flesh longs for certain things but your spirit keeps you from doing a lot of things that your flesh wants you to do your spiritual life, your longing for God, causes you then to say no to the flesh so that the flesh doesn't get its way. Oh, how it grieves us and burdens us when the flesh does have its way. We we hate it. But we'll have to also, if we're understanding, we'll think about it, we'll admit, and and joyfully so, that there are a lot of things maybe that we think about doing or, or long after that we Say no to, because the Spirit of God, the spiritual side of us, our spiritual desire for God and for the things of God keeps us from doing what the flesh wants us to do. And if that's true, it's also true. Galatians five 17, they're contrary to one another. Unfortunately, the desires of the flesh keep us from doing a lot of things that we long to do on the spiritual side. Paul the apostle would talk about that in Romans chapter 7 when he'd say the things that I want to do I don't do. The things that I don't want to do those things are things that I do. What's he talking about? Exactly what he said in Galatians 5 and 17. The flesh lusts. The flesh has desires. The spirit has desires and this is an internal battle that goes on in every child of God. You say, preacher, what's wrong with me? Nothing's wrong. As long as we're in this flesh, we're going to fight that battle. And if you're fighting that battle, listen to me today, brothers and sisters, if you're, if you're fighting that battle, that doesn't mean something's wrong. That means you're living out what the Word of God says. Your flesh is lusting against the spirit. That's what it does. But your spirit is lusting against the flesh. And while, yes, the lust of the flesh sometimes keeps us from doing what God wants us to do, thank God the lust, the desires of the spirit keep us from doing what the flesh wants us to do. lost person doesn't have that battle going on in them. It's not there at all. They might have some uh, battle going on between their own willpower and what they've decided to do or how they've decided to live, and, and they're just fighting that battle with their own internal will. This is the kind of person I want to be. I'm talking about a lost person, but they know nothing about the conflict that you and I have to fight between the spirit that has been created after God and is a partaker of the divine nature and a flesh. That is still marred by sin. We can say like the Apostle Paul did in Romans chapter 7. O wretched man that I am. Who shall deliver me from the body of this death. And the answer is. I thank my God through Jesus Christ our Lord. When John warns us then as believers. Not to love the world or the things of the world. This is number one on his list, the lust of the flesh. A believer in Christ can give supreme devotion and even love to the desires or cravings of the flesh. It can happen. John says, don't do it. Number two, then, is the lust of the eyes. Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes. It's interesting that the word used for lust in, uh, in the original Greek language literally means to turn upon, to turn upon. What turns your head, guys? What turns your head, ladies? If we're not careful, whatever turns our head will soon turn our feet. The word for lust in its original meaning meant to turn upon. What turns you? What stops in your tracks? Turns your head. Turns you. The lust of the eyes. You see, the lust of the flesh is directly connected to the lust of the eyes. It, it, they go together. Um, we say it doesn't hurt to look. <laughs> but that's not what Jesus said. Matthew chapter 5 and verse 28, But I say to you that whoever looks at a woman to lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Wow. Um. When I was going to seminary, I worked for Jack Summers Shoes. Some of you might remember Jack Summers Shoes. And uh, I, I had my uh, experience in retail uh, every Saturday. We all worked all day from, usually mine was from 9 to 9. And, and uh, that was a big sales day. And you get that opportunity then to go up to people standing there. Uh, can I help you? Can I help you? Can I help you? You know what the answer almost always was? Who can tell me? I'm just looking. How about a car salesman, WC? Huh? You ever hear? I'm just looking. I'm just looking. Now, a lot of times that's the truth. I don't know exactly what it is about going shopping, and you stay shopping all day, and you come back, did you buy anything? Nope. No. Didn't buy anything. Obviously, we get some kind of pleasure from just looking. I mean, but, but, but what we're thinking, see, uh, uh, the, the fact is, we like to look, we like to shop. Uh, it's part of something that we enjoy, uh, it's the feeling of obtaining something, but uh, it didn't involve an, an actual purchase. I'm, I'm just looking. But underneath that, we know that. We're going to run across something sooner or later that we just got to have. If you keep looking long enough, yeah, you're going to buy that uh, pair of shoes. And if that salesman's very astute, he'll have a matching purse that'll go right along with it. I'm <laughs> telling you. You just got to have this. me say, it's I'm just looking. Doesn't hurt to look. But the lust of the flesh is connected to the lust of the eyes. You see, we learn by observing. When we see someone else doing something and enjoy it, then we want that enjoyment too. And once that happens, once we have experienced it, then the flesh can forevermore bring that memory back. I don't remember in my before chocolate days There had to have been a time in my life when I watched someone else eat chocolate and then I had it and I liked it. Frankly, I like vanilla better. I can do without chocolate, but uh, vanilla is one of the great pleasures of life. Once you've had something that gives gives you pleasure, your body never forgets it. Your body never forgets the lust of the flesh. It wants it again and again and more and more of it. The problem, of course, is that the things that are sinful or forbidden to us never quite live up to that thrill that it gives us initially. Soon the thrill is gone completely. That's the way sin operates. And when the thrill is gone, the desire is still there. Jesus talked about sexuality in Matthew chapter 5. That's uh, what subject had come up. Remember that God isn't against sex. God invented it. He placed it in a very special relationship between a man and a woman. And we call that relationship marriage. Important information is found in John chapter 4 and verse 17 when Jesus spoke to the woman at the well and said to her, Go call your husband. And she answered and said, I have no husband. And Jesus said to her, You have well said, I have no husband, for you have had five husbands. And the one whom you now have is not your husband in that you spoke truly. God knows the difference, you see, between people who are married and who are just living together. Living together is not the same. Now, if this woman was divorced five times, and I say if because she might have buried five husbands, the Bible doesn't say. But if she was divorced five times, we might understand that she's a little reluctant to try again. But in her heart, she knows the truth. And she said it to Jesus, I have no husband. You see, what can legitimately be fulfilled in marriage can illegitimately be fulfilled outside of it. It is a double whammy then of lust, lust of the flesh combined with the lust of the eyes. Uh, but the story doesn't end there because the next one is the pride of life. 1 John chapter 2 and verse 15, and I'll move as quickly as I can. Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. It's not of the Father, but it's of the world. Understand then, and you can see it if you'll think about it in this passage, that pride is the diametric opposite of repentance. The lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes, when it's fulfilled, would lead us, should lead us, to repentance, remorse, conviction, sorrow. But the exact opposite of that is pride. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and I've done it, and I'm proud of it. Pride of life. This is not of the Father, but it's of the world. We know that the Bible talks about eternal punishment in a place called hell, but... That's far from the only way that sin has consequences. Jeremiah chapter 9 and verse 5, Everyone will deceive his neighbor and will not speak the truth. They have taught their tongue to speak lies. They weary themselves to commit iniquity. What a great thought. They weary themselves to commit iniquity. Isaiah 5 and 18, Woe unto them that draw iniquity with cords of vanity and sin, as it were, with a cart rope. God describes people uh, like an oxen hitched up to a wagon, heavily weighed down. And I like to think of it as having no wheels. And they're pulling it and pulling it. What is it weighed down with? Their sin. They weary themselves in sin. Listen, people are going to hell working themselves silly to carry their sins when they could give them up. But instead, they weary themselves going through life, pulling around their sins. Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. For all that's in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. You think of that person pulling their sins with them to hell, sweating their way to hell. Dragging their sins along. That's pride. That's pride. I'd rather drag my sins all the way to hell than to say to God, God, I'm sorry. I'm a sinner. You go to God that way, and He will be there waiting for you with forgiveness and salvation and regeneration Hmm. I've often thought about what it must have been like to have been a traveler with the apostle Paul one of his men walking with him learning from him serving with him There was a man named Demas who was very effective. He worked along with Luke. And uh, he's mentioned several times in the New Testament as a co-worker of the Apostle Paul. Preacher. Church planter. But we remember Demas for what the Bible says in 2 Timothy 4 and verse 10. Demas hath forsaken me, having loved this present world. The antagonism between the world and Jesus Christ and his followers is real. It is active. It is war. It's possible to be a deserter. That's what Demas did. He left. He deserted. Why? Because he loved the world. I started seminary back in 1977 There were over 70 people in my first year seminary class. One of them is in the crowd here this morning. Uh, Miss Karen, right back here. But I often think of the scores of others. I've completely lost track of them. Um, Roughly half of them didn't make it through the first year before they quit, turned back. Over the years, I've seen many, many, many others that quit. Why? Because they loved this present world. By contrast, the book of Revelation tells us about those who win the victory. And how did they do that? They overcome Him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. And they what? They loved not their lives until the death. They didn't love themselves to death. (laughs) literally. They didn't love their life to death. Because they loved Jesus more than they loved themselves. They loved Jesus more than they loved the world. They tolerated no rival. They did not love the world. Because the world gives you lust, lust, and pride. That's it. i write unto you, little children... I write unto you, young men, I write unto you, fathers, love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. For all that's in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is passing away. This is what the world has, and it's fading away. But he that does the will of God endures forever. Quite a choice that John puts before us in this passage today. Let's stand together. Please.